Welcome to About Yoga and Meditation. Today's guests are Laruga Glacier and David Fredriksson. So Laruga is an advanced level practitioner of Ashtanga Yoga and is a level 2 certified teacher with over 25 years of experience. David took his first Ashtanga Yoga class in 2006 and has from that point kept on practicing and in January 2011 he received his level 1 authorization from his teacher Sharat. Welcome to this podcast. We will talk a lot about Ashtanga Yoga today. Let's get started. Today we have the opportunity to have Laruga and David as guests. And I think is, we can start immediately and you can guide a meditation. Yes, I love to do that. So it will be a short meditation that will focus on um, when we do what we call shamatha meditation. That there's supposed to be a few different qualities. And one quality is to, to, to have the ability to relax certain parts of the body and to move your attention and also the duration of the attention to, to, to be able to stay and stick the attention to one place for a certain amount of time, as long as you wish, actually. So that's what we're going to do. You who listen to this podcast, you can sit on a regular chair, you can sit on the floor, you can also lay down in your bed, you can also stand up. It's all possibilities, actually. You can take two, three longer cycles of breath and be curious about the energy in the different parts of the breathing. So feel the vitalizing energy in the inhalation, the uplifting, the waking energy in the inhalation. And then on the other side, Feel the soothing, calming feeling of the exhalation. And also experience the ratio where naturally the exhalation is much longer. Try to explore the end of the exhale. Try to explore the end of the exhale and the gap before the next inhalation. We can call it a gap or a bardo or the emptiness, a potential of emptiness in that gap. And when you inhale, everything is fresh, everything is new. And of course, in the beginning of meditation, the cluttery mind, the sticky mind is very active. And it's very important to accept that, to accept the fact that it's 
It's a lot of distractions, a lot of movements. And we are not out to shut down, to push all those sensations and thoughts and emotions away. But we are about to to deal with it and move our perspective a bit. So now first, move your attention up in between your eyebrows. Experience your breath in between your eyebrows. Sometimes we're a bit tense there. In meditation, we're not going into analysis why we're tensed. We just observe. Try to stay with our mindfulness just there. What is happening? Again, the energy of the inner exhalation. Is it possible to allow the eyebrows to, to go out to the sides on the exhalation? And if that is possible, how do you experience the sensations in the forehead? And now slowly move your attention into your eyes. And behind closed eyes, move your eyes a little bit. To the left, to the right, up and down. So you can clearly feel the muscle behind the eye. The muscle that that is active to move the eye. And then keep the eyes still, totally still. And exactly this muscle that activates the movement of the eye. On the next exhalation, all those muscles relax. It's like you release the tension in the eye itself. It's like the eye floats freely, the eyeball floats freely in the eye. Use the energy of the exhalation, relax the muscles of the eye. Make sure you are awake and clear. And experience this beautiful feeling of Relaxing the eyes, wide awake. Release the eyes from information. And then there is this very strange feeling that the eyes are totally pacified. But still you see. Still you see. This is awareness. This is what we call awareness. You're totally aware of the relaxation in your eyes. 
but you're not shut down. Still, thoughts, emotions, sensations come and go, but you clearly, the spotlight of mindfulness is lit on the relaxation of the eyes. And at the same time, you can experience your full body. The consciousness is there of your body, but most clearly is the mindfulness in your eyes, the relaxed eyes. So this is how you use mindfulness together with awareness. And now sit totally still. And the only thing you move is that you open up the eyes 20-30%. So you let some light in. And experience the awareness. Totally awake. So you can distinguish that... This is not something vague that only happens behind closed eyes. That awareness is awareness. So let that inner calmness and awareness mingle with the room. And then slowly open up the eyes more and more and more. Until you're fully back in the room. Maybe move a finger, move your hand. And try to just keep this feeling with you for as long as you wish. And this is the post-meditation to be very mindful for the rest of the day Hmm. okay thank you so much so it's always a nice start to to arrive and center so so welcome David Fredriksson and Laruga Glazer Ashtanga yoga teachers uh, and um, to give a brief history uh we met for about maybe 12, 13 years back, something like that. And uh, you have to correct me here because I want you to make an introduction of yourself, but just to, to start talking. We met on a yoga studio here in Stockholm and I was uh, quite uh, newly examined as a yoga teacher there and uh, very uh, um, active in the yoga world. I, I've done meditation for for many, many years, but uh, um, at that time also started to explore the world of yoga, and Ashtanga yoga specific. And uh, one day, uh, Laruga, you started to work at, in the front desk, actually, at the yoga studio. And uh, we, we talked like you do when you work <laughs> on the place. And then all of a sudden, uh, there was a class. I don't remember the, who was teaching the class, but... But then the girl at the front desk was doing yoga next to me. 
and she was flying. <laughs> I thought, what's going on here? <laughs> so then I understood that that uh, you had great knowledge about this uh, this yoga. So at that time you had uh, other plans, of course, and you already together you were planning to start up a Mysore program, mm. which we can explain for the listeners later on what what's, what is a Mysore program. And uh, at that time I decided to to follow you, actually. So I left that yoga studio. And uh, yes, so that's where our friendship and teacher-student era started. (laughs) (laughs) Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, because when I moved here, it was, yeah, it was tough going, moving here and um, teaching and trying to teach. (laughs) You came from, at that time, from U.S.? Um. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was already teaching for quite a few years in the U.S., but mm. I was teaching in Taiwan as well. I was offered a position there to um, oversee a MISER program in, in Taiwan and a pretty thriving community. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I already had, you know, quite a bit of experience, but um, just trying to feel the the energy and the vibe here and, you know, trying to meet people and, yeah. Did you always practice Ashtanga? Is that where you started? Um, well, no, not necessarily. I, I did dabble in like slower forms like Hatha Yoga and Iyengar inspired yoga. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always appreciated any form of yoga. So specifically the philosophy of yoga and just what it guides you towards. But when I found Ashtanga, it was just an instantaneous um, recognition of mm-hmm. something that felt really complete so from then on, I just, um, yeah, I dove right in. I mean, that's just the type of person I am. It's 100%. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm. Amazing. And, and the, of course, the reason that you ended up in Sweden was David. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. so you, met, you met in uh, Mysore, mm. which is, uh, uh, what can we call it? The, the heart of Ashtanga heart Yoga. Heart of Ashtanga Yoga, yes. Yes, and... and and how come that you started with yoga, David? Um, I mean, that goes back a while. Um, but to make a, a very long story short, I had uh, a bunch of um, sports injuries. So let's start there. And I was, um, to heal them, I ended up at Scandinavian Yoga and Meditation. So I started with Hatha Yoga and Meditation, like early 90s. And then I moved to Los Angeles. I was there for about four and a half years and, and uh, pursued music and went to school and all that. And one of my vocal coaches recommended a really great teacher there. And um, her practice was Hatha Yoga and Ashtanga Yoga, but she taught Hatha Yoga. So I did some Hatha Yoga and and Kundalini. Um, and then another injury came when I had moved in back to Sweden so uh, a friend of mine had just started with Gitan Hendele at uh, Ashtanga Yoga Stockholm so and that's how I ended up in in the Ashtanga world and and I didn't I haven't stopped and then um, we met in in Mysore in 2009 Laruga had done her first trip in 2007 I did mine in 2008 and then we met in 2009 mm-hmm. yeah so. And, how, and how come, for the listeners, how come that uh, people uh, uh, go, to go to Mysore, travel to Mysore, and many you hear people stay there for months and 
even years. And they keep on coming back. I guess you have been there for uh, every almost every year since I know you. You've been there for long longer periods. What what is happening in Mysore? Yeah, I mean, well, that's where um, that's where Krishmacharya taught, and that's where Patabi Joyce taught, and also um, his daughter Saraswati, and as and also his grandson um, Shirachi. So um, it's really like, yeah, it's kind of like this this mecca of the Ashanga Yoga practice, and um, that's where the school is, where um, Patabi Joyce started many, many years ago. And um, yeah, and it's such an interesting space because I think some people might not feel called to go there. I don't think everyone needs to go there, but if you feel the call to go, I think it's really such an interesting place. One, to practice yoga in a place like India, which is always has unexpected energy. Um, And I think that's just so interesting. You really know if the yoga is working because... India is just an interesting place. And um, and then, you know, it's also obviously the the space the teacher holds. It's quite powerful, but also what the community holds together. Um, you know, the, the practices there are just transformative. It's just like an energy of the teacher and all of the other practitioners and also the history of the practitioners that just reverberate in the space. I mean, you... I just, it's unexplainable, you know, it's just, it's transformative. And you go in, in one way and you leave in another. And then each trip is different. And each trip has a different theme and a different challenge and a different uh, thing that comes about. It's just so interesting. Is it, is the trip different because you go in differently or is it different because the school has like different themes I, we know the answer, but I think it's good to just talk about the, is it different because it's different themes every year or is it just different because you evolve and learn? Yeah, I think it's, there's, it's your own internal lesson yeah. that comes about. There's always something. Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting. But can you just uh, give us, because I think uh, uh, we will uh, we will go there sooner or later about this, uh, because you are both... Um, I mean, what do you say? Dedicated. Dedicated, yes. Absolutely one of, uh, one of the most dedicated uh, persons I met in the yoga world. And so so what does uh, does it mean? You sign up for a month or two months when you go there? It's The minimum is a month. Mm. A, a month, yeah. yeah. And then when you come there, uh, you get a slot or something that you have to... To, to show time. up a time, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. yes, uh, and, and that is nine uh, thirty or uh, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wish. Well, it depends. Uh, some people, some people get nine yeah. thirty. Yeah. 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 yeah, but but uh, g- for, give us a picture yeah, of uh, what is. Yeah. For us, it's it's more waking up around I don't know two thirty three o'clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most of the times that we, we're usually in in the first. Or second bash, I would. So we're not would practicing say. that time. It's no, like a four, four thirty. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. So in the morning. In the morning. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very like Laruga said. It's a very transformative place. And just to tie back to what Sheila was saying, it's or asking. Uh, yeah, it's it's what has happened through the year mm. kind of filters into that trip, mm. and you might come there and think. 
something and oh I'm gonna focus on on this and like Laruga said then something happens and India teaches you and the practice mm. and the people that you meet there you you get a different lesson than what you walked in with and mm. that's why it's so so it it is really like Laruga said it's a different trip every year you mm. think it would be the same right it's the same practice it's the same teacher a lot of times it's the same people but no it's a new lesson it's like the universe is speaking to you and this is what you need to look at at this point in time and i that's beautiful i've heard um i haven't been there myself because of many reasons but i've i have two kids that were that are quite small and my friend was like but that's Sheila that's not um that's not a reason like bring your kids bring your family and it's um i've heard that it's very open for everyone which feels so nice and also when we think about it like what yoga stands for it feels um t- but obvious um and isn't that also like the whole theme of ashtanga yoga at least for me that Even if it's the same practice, it's never the same practice. Every day we go t- through these transformations. Can we, can we explain this uh, a little bit? You say you both said it's the same practice. Yeah. What does that does it mean? Can you can you just give us a picture of the setup of of uh, going into the to the world of practicing Ashtanga Yoga on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, basically, it's a set sequence. That uh, I mean, you know, there is an kind of like a unfolding and an evolution inside of the Ashtanga practice. I mean, there are six set sequences. However, um, you know, it takes quite a while to to like move through all of those sequences. And um, but it even even if you work on an advanced level, everyone always does sun salutations and the same standing postures. So um it's really about this sense of of repetition and um And bringing new eyes to something you've done maybe thousands of times—that's that's something that um, is so so interesting. And it's almost like you need a little bit of something kind of set to really see how you've transformed and how you bend and how mentally you are and how physically you are and how all of those things change on a day to day basis. And um, You know, sometimes people don't always like that set sequencing, but it's not about um, being entertained or things like that. It's really, it's really, truly a mental process. It's really about uh, steadying the mind and being very present. Um, and that's like the true purpose of all of it. Yeah. Do you still um, do you still get fascinated about small details of your practice? Do you still feel in maybe the sun salutations? Wow, I should try this or this happens or this feels differently in my body do you still find the details oh of course i mean i don't know that's just the way i'm wired i it's going to be a hundred percent i mean even sun salutation a you know that doesn't mean push that doesn't mean be aggressive in the practice but i will bring a hundred percent of who i am to that and The refinement and the subtlety mm. is the most fascinating part. Yeah, it's not always the big sweeping movements. It's like, it's the energy flow. It's how you command that energy, how you channel it, um, and 
And also how you, a part of yourself steps aside and uh, another energy comes in and guides you. Um, the, the depth that you can bring to, to this practice but is, is endless, you know, but you have to put in the time. And so. let's talk about the time. Now we've come to the time and the practice a few times. I um, heard the word which um, is found in yoga, tapas. And tapas means fire or it has several different meanings. But it's a dedication and energy and bravery uh, for me. Um, and how is that important? Like showing up on your mat and when you say, I give 100%, what does that mean? And how do you find the strength to do that? Well, I think sometimes, yeah, I, I don't know, 100%, sometimes people think it's some type of aggressive pushing or something. But to me, it's showing up. Mm. That's like, that is actually half of the battle is just to show up. Mm. You know, like, um, I mean, teaching for as long as I've had, I've heard every excuse not to show up. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, you know, it's like, so, but... Showing up is, it's interesting because I also feel, of course, there are certain demands that happen in life and sometimes things ebb and flow, but we we all need to show up for ourselves mm. to be better at everything else that we do and even the roles that we play. So sometimes we'll ignore that um, until we're at our breaking point. So I think it's so important that even if it's 10 minutes, we need to show up. Mm. Yeah. And do you have the same feeling? Do you have the same? Yeah, mm. absolutely. And also going back a little bit to the sun salutations and, 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 and the discipline that that takes. Mm. and Because um, Lurig and I do a lot of uh, retreats and workshops around the world. Mm. And a lot of times, you know, the first workshop is actually, it's going to be the standing sequence and then Lurig goes thoroughly through sun salutations. And every time... Without fail, mm. and there's like, oh yeah, I gotta remember this. Okay, mm. I gotta work on this. <laughs> oh, I gotta, yeah, I can check in more on this. I can. It's just, you know, and that's the discipline, the tapas of all when it comes to to yoga. It's just and burning through whatever resistance you can have. Like for me, yeah, it's like okay, it's another sun salutation workshop. Okay, maybe I've done a few. But you still have that attitude to kind of burn through and be like, yeah, this is fun too, you know. Mm -hmm. So even if you get that repetition going the whole time, you still have a mind that's playing tricks on you. Of course. And I mean, I've talked to Laruga quite a lot about this, you know. I'm wondering like, when does that resistance stop? Mm -hmm. And I think, I think we're born in one way with certain kind of resistance. I think we learn how to handle it mm. better as the years passes on. But I kind of feel like it, even though I know that, yeah, this is the best way for me to live. This is the best choice for me to do this morning. It still is a resistance. And like Laruga said, yeah, getting just showing up to him, Matt, sometimes is the absolute hardest thing and it's easy to talk yourself out of not doing a practice whether that's a seated meditation or if it's just doing a standing sequence in ashtanga yoga and that's also another thing when it comes to ashtanga sometimes people think yeah it's a 100 and you have to do your full practice no if you have an off day standing is fine there's not you're never forced 
to do what you're supposed to do on the mat, so to speak. But you're supposed to check in with yourself. Where am I today? What is the um, what is the least amount of asana practice you've done? And is it like one sun salutation or maybe just sitting on the mat? For me personally, yes. I've never done only one sun salutation. <laughs> But uh, I, I would say the shortest is, is probably like standing. Mm. You're like I've done standing and then just mm. done the last three mm. finishing poses in 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 in, in the finishing sequence because, mm. like Laruga mentioned, the standing sequence um, and also the finishing sequence they're actually the same asanas depending mm. on on uh, what series you practice through, mm. right? So it's when we come to the seated sequence where we actually start talking about the six different series. Yeah, but I think the other aspect to coming a hundred percent is like. One, if you come with 100%, it's it's about even if you're stiff and tired. I of am course. here in my stiffness and tiredness 100%. Exactly. It's so much more fun mm. to just mm. accept and flow through whatever that is. That is, to me, a mature practice. It's not about like denying or like wishing something were happening. And, and I feel like no matter what you do, if you just show up fully, whatever, you could be in a negative headspace and you show up fully. It is so much more fun and transformative. Uh, and there's a lesson right inside of that. And I think that's the other aspect of it that people often miss because the, you know, sometimes it, it, daily discipline and dedication, sometimes that's been demonized, but it's not about proving anything. Yeah. It's just really just, I'm a hundred percent here and I'm invested in this journey And uh, it's just as simple as that. Yeah, that that is beautiful. Do you think that? Um, do you think that your students or people in general know that? Because I I feel that we meet so many who are completely new to yoga, and we also teach them maybe a sun salutation. And then when they ask us like, how do you practice? Sometimes I feel a bit of resistance telling them that I practice six days a week. Because I know that, or I'm also adding to their opinion, but my initial opinion then is that they will think that we're doing too much or we're pushing too hard. And what you say, what both of you say, is that this is really self-love. This is showing up for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if people know that. But I think it's important to be transparent and honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, how someone reacts to that is something else. Yeah. And And it might call for someone to be further educated. Mm. You know, that's a teaching moment, mm. I think. So you always have to be transparent and mm. honest with what your journey is. And I don't think we ever have to water it down. And I I may express how I've done things, but then I always, as a teacher, it's also my responsibility to meet the student where they are yeah. today yes. and give them the, the skills and the tools to slowly build to their capacity of what how it means in their life. Mm. It may never be a six-day-a-week practice, but it can mean something. Mm. So, and that's fine. I agree. Good. And also, nice. it's... Uh, the six-day-a-week, if you think about it, when you learn it, I mean, if you have the chance to, to do that and you feel called to do that, um, or whether you start three days or four days a week or 
you in the beginning it's not a very long practice because you're learning your sun salutations you're learning a few of the standing poses and then you repeat it so it can be 20 minutes mm. it can be 30 minutes it can be i don't think it's for most beginners rarely more than 40 minutes yeah. you know so and then you build slowly slowly up yeah, because mm. the repetition part is so important in Ishtanga Yoga. The set sequence actually is about finding the breath. We talk about focus points, the drishti, mm. and then the state of the asana, trishtanam, right? Mm. So that when that is incorporated, you get into a meditation of movement. So that's what we want to mm. do. So when the thoughts, like the beautiful meditation that Magnus just did, when the brain starts wandering on the mat, you go back to your breath, you go back to the drishti, and you go back to the state of the asana, the awareness, right? And by this repeating in small chunks the series, then it becomes like riding a bike, brushing your teeth, it becomes automatic. So we, that, we take away the brain from that. So it's not very hard, even if it says, oh, six days a week and showing up 100%. No, it's a, sh- it's a very short limit of time, actually, that in the beginning. So it's never hard or pushed. And so, so how does this uh, work? If someone is listening now and try to, try to understand, uh, get a picture of how it is practicing with you. So in the beginning, we said that you were moving to... to uh, to Yoga Jama uh, studio just around the corner here in Stockholm to, and you set up your Mysore program where you both teach um, um, every morning. And uh, how does it work for a beginner coming there? Uh, shall they first uh, attend a workshop with you uh, or can they just jump into the room and... Yeah. Please yeah, they give us a picture of what will happen. Yes. They can definitely jump into the room. And what, what, what rem- is happening in this room? What is Mysore? Well, people are... So, well, I mean, I, I just remember one student who just like... She just stumbled in the room practically and she's just she didn't even know what she walked into. And I remember, <laughs> okay, let's get started. And she ended up being pretty dedicated to the practice. Like It, it happens like that sometimes. But some people want a little more control and they want to feel that they need preparation. But actually... You don't need any preparation at all. Like, um, But I think what can be intimidating is when a new beginner walks in, they see a lot of people that seem to know what they're doing. Mm. So that can feel intimidating. But I think I always have to tell new beginners that you have to also understand that everyone in this room has been a new beginner too and has felt exactly what you have felt. Mm. So no one is judging you like, why is this person here? Because they have been in that same exact position. And I think a lot of people like when they see new people come in and they understand the process. So everyone is very supportive of new people coming in. And the very first day would be very simple, just a short introduction to the practice and just doing sun salutations Mm. and getting a handle of that and slowly building up the practice. And uh, that's really the traditional form. So for a beginner, isn't quite nice to hear this because you're not even allowed to try those more difficult postures 
You, are, yeah. you will get a very soft introduction yes. that raise your arms and inhale, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And after we've done that, after you understand this synchronization, let's fold and exhale. I mean, it's very accessible, I would say, because in many guided classes, um, since this is not a uh, lead class in, in that perspective, so, so what is happening here is that uh, people is doing their own practice where they are in the sequence and you as teacher will walk around and support them individually. Yeah. So so that's a very safe mm-hmm. haven to, to jump into. I, I you said and I think it's interesting, it's a tra- this is the traditional way to learn or it's the traditional way to learn and teach yoga. What what do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean if you And that's one reason why I appreciate Ashtanga. It still has these roots that kind of go back many, many, many generations. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's that sense you, you you're coming to the teacher and the teacher imparts a certain aspect of the teaching, and it is your responsibility to apply those teachings and and you have to integrate it within your own body mind. And of course, the teacher will be observing and it, they'll make sure that you're not going astray and that they'll keep you on track. But you still have to apply and integrate and flow through that. And and then when you're ready, then the teacher adds on more. And, um, and you know, this, it's quite interesting because I, I, I follow, I'm always like keen on like new research, but I follow this woman who's into more in the fitness realm. But she was also mm. saying that minimal cueing is so much better for the mind-body connection. Why? It's something with the brain connection. Yeah. And she said that it, it goes in deeper over time. So sure, when you're new, you're going to feel a little bit clumsy and awkward. I mean, but that's also why we go back to repetition. So even though she comes from the world of fitness, she doesn't cue. She just does and you follow. And I thought that was so interesting because it kind of took me back to Mysore, where sure, we talk and have a conversation with the student, but then we step back so they can integrate and flow. And if they need corrected, of course, we are always there to to make sure that they're on track and that they feel comfortable and guided, but they still need to integrate it within themselves with some space. That's beautiful. Yeah. So also in Ashtanga Yoga, it... You learn the practice in the Mysore style settings. So mm. you like if you compare it to going to the gym, mm. you have a PT that maybe helps you out. And that's exactly what we do. There's mm. usually one teacher and at least one assistant person in the room, right? So the lead classes in Ashtanga Yoga are actually the more advanced classes. Mm. So you have to work up to be able to do that. So that's also why we, you know, when you go to the gym, you don't lift heavy weights in the beginning. You build up. And that's the same way with Ashtanga Yoga. So that's why it becomes much more accessible, I think, than a lot of other yoga styles. Nothing wrong with them at all. But you have this time where you can you don't have to follow along with Mm. a set sequence so even if you're tired after two sun salutations you can just stand on the edge of the mat and breathe for a few minutes maybe memorize what we're doing and then go ahead and do another one and so it allows for a lot of freedom uh, for people when they start this practice which i think is beautiful 
Yeah. I think this is so good and interesting that you bring this up because when I started practicing yoga, I went to guided in hatha yoga classes um, and I also got hurt. My body um, was in quite a lot of pain, like my lower back and and I just felt that this was good for me. I, I loved the yoga, but there was something that wasn't really uh, flowing for my body. And it was because I also felt that I was doing stuff that my body wasn't really able to do at the time. I was forcing myself, I was pushing, I was going too far. And the mind-body connection was not there at all. Like, I, it was a gymnastics class for me. Um and then when I started practicing Ashtanga Yoga, my pain got, was, um, it, it, it left my body and I got new pains, of course, but they also, it comes and goes. But that was nice. And I think that that's so, it's so welcoming practice for everyone. And also maybe it's, uh, sometimes I think that uh, it's like we are in our setup in mind that we always think, since we see that there are more advanced postures, mm. we always see the perspective, okay, this is the setup that I should add on things. Like when I started with you, uh, actually you 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 reduced <laughs> the amount of postures. <laughs> Quite many actually. And uh, of course, for, for... Was that hard for your ego? Um, that's a good question. In one sense it was because I, I struggled very hard and uh, the person that I was at that time, of course, felt a bit disappointed. But I also fe felt that uh, uh, since I took the decision to practice with you, I felt also quite safe since I s I've seen your practice and I've seen what you're doing to other students. I felt that, that uh, uh, let's go here and build it up from... Um, from where I am, actually, because I, I also felt that I did some postures a bit sloppy and, uh, and so to speak. So, so, so both, mm. but I felt safe. So that was okay. And then I went forward again, and now I'm back again. So, <laughs> so this is how we, this Comes is how we goes. move <laughs> life. But um, how? So how? To, today you both teach at the uh, Yogayama uh, Maestro Program, or it's yours, and how does when does your own practice happen? How does that work for you today? I mean, usually now it's it's um, after um, mm -hmm. we've taught. I mean, we had a period of time where both of us try to practice before, mm -hmm. which once again is very early mornings. Um, I'm happy that I did it. I think LaRue probably is too. But uh, and, and now we just, you know, and I also don't teach every day because I do other things. So that gives gives me the opportunity to to practice with the group, which is super nice. Also, just mm. to to be a student. That's also one of the reasons why uh, Laruga and I go back is to Mysore in India is to so we can be students. Mm. You know, really. I mean, I Laruga is still my teacher. So, but for Laruga, where she's at. It's very, there's not many people in the world that actually are at her practice level. So she has to go to, mm. to, to Mysore and practice with Sharachi. There's like, there's no other way for her mm. to, to, to develop because there's, there's no one here. No, so, so. You, so you don't have a teacher in Sweden? 
today. No, you have Sharati as your teacher. Yeah, I mean, mm. but he, the teachings stay with you. Mm. That's why that really comes from the tradition in mm. India. You know, you're given the teachings and you apply those teachings. And, um, you, you know, you may not be with your teacher every day. You know, you some people have that luxury. But um, yeah, like I think that's part of the the process and maturing in the practice. But how is it uh, then uh, to be with your teacher 24-7, David? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I mean, Shiraji is your teacher. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Shiraji is, is my, my teacher. But but here in Sweden, definitely, uh, Laruga is. And uh, no, it's not a problem. We've never really had a problem oh. with with that, honestly. No. Um, the, the relationship is a different thing. Mm. I mean, so... But it was, you know... There was not even a question when I started, and she had already practiced for for ten years, pretty mm. much, right? Mm. So she was so much further along. I mean, mm. what? what, what, what <laughs> there was nothing for me in, in, in if we're just talking about asana. You practice, didn't even no. made a try that maybe I should be your teacher. Mm, no, no, never, <laughs> never ever. <laughs> that would be uh, kind of ludicrous. <laughs> But also, that's another question that came up once recently when I was doing an interview. Like, I was asked if we ever, like, argue in the room, like, yeah. on how things are handled. And it was so funny because I was like, not at all. No. Not at all. And it, it's like, I was like, we disagree about a lot of other things. But I said, because <laughs> for us, our true focus is really, it is student-focused. Mm-hmm. It, it has nothing to do with... Who's who's more the boss in the room and who's get like we don't care actually we, mm. that is not our focus so it's so clear mm. who the focus is it's the students mm. and so there's just has never been any disruption or argument about how the room is run because mm. we really have the same philosophy on how the environment is and how we're fostering everybody and and the energy that we want to create and. And of course, the students are a part of that. They're creating a really beautiful energy too. And it was so funny because I don't know if people would believe it, but it's so true. Hmm. Like we don't, that yeah. is not, yeah. we argue about other things. We don't yeah. argue about. <laughs> what, do you, what do you argue we don't, about? We don't argue about. Normal things. <laughs> cleaning. The, I think we argue about. The same thing that most couple yes. argue about. I don't think. I think <laughs> that's just. <laughs> I think that's just a universal mm. thing, mm. and that's it. You know, but in the room, we, we know we never had a problem like that. Mm. I mean, of course, Leruga is more um, experienced. So in the beginning, when I started mm. teaching and and doing that, of course, I got a few more tips. Uh, but then I. Laruga also traveled quite a lot, so I had to learn on my own, and then I could talk to her, and then maybe Laruga says something, okay, we'll do something different with this student now. But then we just talk about it, so it's never, you know... You have um, assistants in your room as well. Mm -hmm. And I love when you say that you have an idea of how you want to, like, um, hold space together. You're going the same direction. What can you try to explain that space? Like, what what kind of room are you trying to hold? And also, like, what happens with the assistants? Do you argue with the assistants? No, I don't think we argue with the assistants because all of them are trained. Uh, Laruga has done. We've had apprenticeship programs, so this mm. is very different when you develop teachers in the Ashtanga Yoga. Uh, I mean. 
we go to Mysore. Mm-hmm. We get our authorizations and certificate being certified. That's something that Sharachi he asks you or tells you. I think it's time for you to start practicing mm. and, or start teaching now. That's and that's when you kind of okay. I guess I start teach now, <laughs> which is a little mm. surprising. Some people were already teachers, of course. I wasn't. So, but that's the same thing here. You don't do a teacher training. You don't go to no. and pay for a teacher training. Mm. Here we we built up a apprenticeship program for two years that they go through before they're even allowed in the room really to mm-hmm. to assist so they're already with you completely yeah well it's a little yeah the apprenticeship was like if somebody wants to assist the apprenticeship is two years um they already they have to be practicing with us mm-hmm. you know already so it's like you know i've already kind of seen them as a as a practitioner um there were a few odd exceptions like i've had some people one person like move here or whatever to do it but it's like um but i they they may come in and assist a little earlier yeah. but it's very um we keep it on a very minute level like and it builds so mm. the the beginning adjustments are going to be very simple mm. so um but yeah there's a lot of education involved a lot of uh you, you know you must you must be practicing and um uh learning of course the adjustments but also learning the method of the practice in inside and out like really understanding the the philosophy and the the methodology and and also like you know we have this vinyasa count where you count in sanskrit and knowing the posture names and understanding like the essence of the poses and um you know like all of these things that are kind of like part of holding space because it's a very it's a very energetic um intuitive too as well that which takes time takes time to grow into that to to hold mm-hmm. the space for for other students and yeah but since the assistants go through that i mean they first started out they have to be dedicated students in the sense that they they have practiced like laruga said with us for a long time and then you know, so they're they they're they're used to our ways. Mm. So it's not, it's more like that. I feel like the assistants they want to learn more, but you know maybe it's not where they should be focusing mm. right now. There's still things that certain you know they still need to learn or, or improve upon. Because I think when it when it comes to the more difficult adjustments. And where people are in the practice, that that really is up to to Laruga and myself to kind of say this is what we need to be done. And certain things we we only leave to to the two of us, mm. you know, because it you know it's a re- responsibility. So it's not just it's not a slight to anyone. It's just it takes it takes skill and 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 it's important to for the students also to trust so and they trust really trust us so if an, a new assistant comes in with a more tricky adjustment or a harder thing for a student to do they might not um surrender to that assistant and be as relaxed mm. as that post demands. Mm. So this mm. is this is where things can go wrong. Because mm. when you you as a student need to feel like you can fully trust 
the teacher that is in front of you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just about the trust issue, mm-hmm. even, you know. So I mean, there <clears throat> are some postures like uh, dropping back from standing yes. where you really need this trust. Yeah. And uh, it, make it makes a big difference. If And uh, that, that's very clear for me uh, since when I started that, I felt I only wanted to do it with, like... Like you or David and no one else before. Yeah. I haven't had that trust, and I felt uh, uh, the body was uh, yeah. uh, doing things that was not good yeah. for the posture. So yeah. it's very clear and, sometimes. Mm. Yeah, that's why we build mm. it up slowly. Mm. And the expectations. I have very. I don't know if I should say hi. Maybe yeah. I have high expectations. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, about which is what they, good if they're going to hold the space. Yeah. And I mean, I remember even teaching them dropbacks. I like. I said, you will not drop anyone. Mm. No. Mm. And I repeated it. You will not (laughs) drop Mm. anyone. Mm. And I was serious. Mm. You know, and it's like, and that's like, that's something that I'm in, you know, obviously I have to also trust uh, the apprentices, but also I'm really big on training, Mm. you know, and, Mm. and and the practicing and before they practice with students, they're practicing on each other, and and we're there, and I'm, you know, we're we're guiding them and things like that sort. Mm. So, um, yeah. So, so, they... so the, if you want to become a Ashtanga yoga teacher in your in your room, so the start is to show up, practice, practice, build up to a steady, steady practice, and then the way to go is to join an apprentice program for. Two years, is right? Yeah, yeah that's how we've done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how, yeah what, what do nice. you think? What do you think of teacher trainings today? The general teacher trainings. I don't know if I should answer that. <laughs> please, please do. No, I just feel like I'm just. I don't think there's a day that goes by that I don't get a question about teaching or do you do a teacher training and and things of that sort. And I. Uh, and uh, when people ask me, I'm always just like, well, what is your practice history? How long have you practicing? And I'm always a little bit surprised that people haven't put in the time mm. for the practice. Mm. Because that's just, that's baseline, is that you're a practitioner and whatever me- whatever methodology you want mm. to teach. And I've always told like my own students, the best teachers are the best students. Mm. They're the most curious, the most hungry mm. to learn and grow and like dig in and and also, when you're a student, you tend to be quite humble, and you don't have to grandstand um, to overcompensate for what you don't know and what you haven't experienced. I think because the practice itself is humbling enough, mm. and you need that reminder. Mm. Um, and I just find there's nothing wrong to ever aspire to teach, um, but you always have to do the work that you're also asking your students to do. And and it's been strange. I mean, I've been around some, it's interesting. I've been around some yoga personalities out there who are like, well, I don't need a teacher, but mm. they want students. That's, <laughs> oh. And I'm always like, that's interesting. Hmm. You know, like, we, I don't need it. And actually saying it in a very negative way. Like, I don't need any teacher. Yeah, I don't we've need heard any. that too. And um, I'm like, but you want students to come to you mm, and learn. Mm. And I, I feel like, I, God willing, I still want to be a student, um, you Mm. know, for another 20 years, 30 Mm. years. I mean, I want to keep going and learning. You need, it is, and if you think about it, like anyone who's great at anything, even if you look at like high level athletes, they always have coaches. 
They always of have course. mentors. Yes. No. We've heard you, so you know. many yoga teachers say, mm. I, I don't have time to practice because I teach so much. Yeah. And both me and Magnus, <clears throat> when we do, when we uh, teach, I, I always practice. Yeah. Like, I can't teach if I don't practice. Yeah. Mm. Mm. No. Uh, but I think the transparency is very important mm. as, as long as you keep that. Because when I, when I was in my teacher training, uh, my body was actually not following me until the teacher training was going on for one year. And maybe after 10, 11 months, it was loosened up. Mm-hmm. I knew the meditation part and I knew the Sanskrit and all this philosophy stuff, but my body wasn't following. But then uh, a friend of ours, Alexander Medin, he told yeah. me that you have to be honest. If, if, if you say that I can only do sun salutations, you can teach. But if you jump on a high horse <laughs> and try to uh, yeah, play around and say, that yeah. I know a lot of stuff, but you don't want to show it, mm. then it's another business. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think mm. it's, again, it's not about advancement. You don't have to do, do all those advanced positions to become a teacher, but at least it has to be grounded in you. And you have to be honest about that what you know and what you don't know. Yeah, yeah of course. Like you don't, yeah. You, you ha- yeah, there has to be consistency and a dedication. But mm. yeah, I mean, even if you look at Potabi Joyce, I mean, he wasn't doing all those postures, you know, but he had a sadhana. Yeah, he had a daily absolutely. sadhana, even though he, yeah. at a certain age, he wasn't doing like those really, you know, more intense postures. So yeah, it's, it's but you do have to like have, I feel like the practice gives you, better eyes to to see your students and better ears to listen and you know you hold more space in a very intelligent intuitive way and yeah you have to keep lead um lighting your own fire it's so important practice is is i mean that's what you have to do i, I mean mm-hmm. you just that's um for anyone entering into a teacher training without a practice or building a practice, I don't really care what method you go into, but you have to practice. If you're doing hatha yoga, you need to practice hatha yoga. That's yeah. it just and find the best teachers that you can. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's natural. If you want to play the guitar, you don't go to a drummer. <laughs> no, it's like exactly. you go to the guy who plays the guitar. Yeah, and and everyone. Mm-hmm. I don't care what level you are. If you're a musician or if you're an athlete, everybody works on the basics. All the good, the people that we admire mm-hmm. in the world. Always go back to the basics. Mm. So even when we talk about mm. the sun salutations in, in in Ashtanga Yoga or if you do Iyengar or whatever, you better believe that the high-level teachers, they go back to the basics. Mm. It never, ever leaves you, no matter the discipline in life. And I think music is a great metaphor because yeah. mm. when I was young, I played the violin. And But somebody had said something to me. You know, sometimes people have like something negative to construe, like, oh, you're scaring people with those poses. But it's kind of like, you know, when I started playing the violin, like, I had to go through, like, first just learning the, the instrument mm. and how the instrument works. <laughs> That's what I had to learn first. And then you start with very simple scales mm. and very simple songs 
you know, at some point I was doing, well, I never made it to like first violin. I always was in second violin, so I wasn't gifted. But, you know, just doing like aspects of Beethoven's ninth or something. That takes like, you have to like, build up. you know, yeah, yeah. As a beginner, I could look at it as scary mm-hmm. or I can look at it as an inspiration. Mm-hmm. To, even though I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't top level violinist, but I was decent, you know, and it it taught me a lot about discipline and mm-hmm. it's still even if you you don't become like the perfect soloist in it i still look back at how much i learned and just the beauty of enjoying music mm-hmm. you know so sometimes people always want to make it hierarchical like or you know you want to point the finger at someone that might be doing something quite elaborate but it can be looked at as an inspiration and you can still find joy mm. in where you are and what you're mm. doing mm. I mean I think music because I mean I wasn't the best but I was decent when I played <laughs> the violin you know <laughs> so <laughs> what would you recommend a person who listens to this and and of course if you listen to this podcast obviously you have some interest in yoga and meditation mm. but how to get started Let, let's say how to get started what should you do i think it's so simple you just have to show show up <laughs> show up roll out the mat just, stand on it because in many ways in a in a mice room you will be taken care of mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. you will be taken care of yeah. you're not going to be set to sail and just like well yeah. let's see what happens it's like we will you will be supported yeah mm-hmm. and if you know our the youngest student we had she started at at 14 and we have people that are well in their 60s so this is a good way you know it's it's very open to Hmm. to ages Uh, doesn't matter what body you have doesn't matter if you've been sitting on an off in in an office chair for 15 20 years anyone is welcome and anyone can do it because we will find a way to to work with you Hmm. so i kind of agree with laruga it it's very easy you you literally just have to show up, you know, roll out your mat and, and you know. So I think it's more our minds that's going to stop us than than anything else. And we can work on that too, on yes. the mat. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and that reminds me of something I heard just recently from an author. We were listening to this pod, another podcast from the author, um, <clears throat> this guy who wrote this book called The Comfort Crisis. And they were saying how, like, when you move the body, you calm the mind. Mm. Yes. Yeah. You must move your body. Mm. Yeah. And the mind will naturally mm. calm. And that's, mm. if anything else, that's something worthwhile. Mm. I think those are perfect mm. words to end with. Beautiful. Mm. Thank you for taking your time. Thank you for coming. Us. Thank you for having us. We're delighted. We're delighted.